This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs. For good times, the best times, you can't go wrong. We'll two-step, a new step, it won't be long. When the Dixieland is up playing, soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. Welcome to another episode of Before My Time. I am your host, Gelsey Laurie, and we are going to talk about a guy that not only do I love, not only does Matt love, but we know you love him too, none other than Steve Martin. Kelsey, one of our absolute favorite TV shows, is back. I'm so excited. Season two is back. I I do need to give a shout out. You were one of the people that told me to watch this, but a listener of the show who's also one of my absolute best friends, Lauren, also heavily recommended that I check out this show. And man, I knocked this whole season out in less than 24 hours and now I'm excited to watch it weekly. It's a perfect. We, ladies and gentlemen, are talking no other than Only Murders in the Building, starring Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez, who really, that this show made me fall in love with her. I mean, obviously, she's big and stuff, but I was always like, yeah, Selena Gomez. And I was like, oh, she's great. I, I love her. The dynamic between the three of them, it's, it's the perfect. I mean, obviously, Steve Martin and Martin Short have such a great chemistry friendship dynamic all the things they've done it for years and bringing in selena gomez as this younger kind of generationally separated trio player it really made it work in my opinion and it's a great you have the realism the emotional you know they go there and they they get your heartstrings but then it's you there's gonna be funny i mean you can't have martin short not (laughs) make you laugh and, and then you have the murder mystery element. So I, I can't wait for season two. What we decided to do is we're going to just have a little bit of a discussion about Steve Martin. He's someone that both of us have a have a fandom towards. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there are plenty of Steve Martin movies that are of our time. I believe for Gelsey, we're looking at like L.A. Story, Father of the Bride, House Sitter era was mm-hmm. around when she was on this planet. Based mm-hmm. on the Wikipedia, uh, Three Amigos and Little Shop was when I was born, um, was was where he was at. But what I think is worth analyzing is 
that even starting around the little shop time, there's a huge change in what Steve Martin becomes known as, as an actor a little bit. He, he really starts diving into more dramatic roles in the mid eighties, uh, mm-hmm. doing a lot less like arrow through the head comedy, which was what he was most mm-hmm. certainly known for in the seventies. So for, for the best of our abilities, we're going to try to stay firmly in that like 70s into early 80s. The early years. Steve Martin era. Because obviously we could sit here and talk about how much I love Bowfinger and how much we both love. Oh gosh, love, I mean, you know, there's, there's so there's, much. But my favorite Steve Martin is the earlier films. And that's even though same. of my childhood, say the 90s when he was coming out with Father of the Bride, this, that. I didn't know those as well as I did his films in the 70s and, and early 80s is the Steve Martin I know. And that's just shout out to my parents for showing me the good shit. It's a bit of a sad story though, in a weird way at the same time. Um, if you've read is, if you've read a, a book that I mentioned last week, uh, wild and crazy guys, but also if you've even read born standing up, I listened uh, to his uh, book and he read it born standing up, but this was some years ago. So it's a little tape. fuzzy, but I, I did listen to it and it was incredible. It, it, he went through this thing where it felt like every time he made a movie after the jerk, it was such a financial disappointment that like mm-hmm. there is this chunk of uh, Steve Martin cinema from 79 to 84 that I think are just comedic masterpieces that he just to this day sees as like, yeah, they were a fine movie, but no one cares. And, and I think that that's, his takeaway, which is a real bummer, but uh, I mean, I want to start real quick with what what is your first Steve Martin memory? I don't know because I I did grow up with The Jerk. It can't be one of my favorite movies that I saw-ish early um, is Man With Two Brains. That's kind of like my family's favorite Steve Martin film, but I wouldn't have seen that when I was super young just because it's inappropriate. They would have waited a little bit for that. So yeah. I think The Three Amigos would be my my kind of introduction to him. Um, I had Father the Bride. You know, we we had the movie in our house, but it wasn't one I put on a lot. And so, yeah. And then SNL. I, I did watch SNL at a very young age. I was exposed to that all the time. And so just kind of seeing those performances. But I, I think movie-wise would be Three Amigos and then King Tut, I, my Dr. Demento CD that I've talked about before in other yeah. episodes. We, we had King Tut on there. And so that was also kind of at the same time my introduction to him. I think for me, it was probably Little Shop of Horrors. We're getting them out of the way early, but I mean, I watched the Muppet movie a lot as a kid, and he has mm-hmm. probably my favorite cameo in that movie as the the rude waiter. Oh, waiter? Yes? May I help you? Uh, uh, the, uh, the wine, please? Oh, you mad impetuous thing, it's champagne. Not exactly. Sparkling Muscatel, one of the finest wines of Idaho. That's pre the jerk, even. That is that is like one of his first filmed appearances. And you're really it's it's worth analyzing that scene because you really do capture like what Steve Martin's entire 70s persona was in that small little bit, which is like you know, kind of egotistical, kind of a jerk, like completely lacking self-awareness. Like Mm -hmm. I heard a quote from him that I always really liked where he talked about his idea 
of what's funny is not so much the setup joke and punchline, but like the absurd lens that people will go to make somebody laugh. And he would try mm. to like make that what the, the comedy was. It wasn't so much writing the best joke, but like being so over the top with the delivery of the joke to make people almost feel sorry for you and laugh. It, kind of, it felt very Andy Kaufman esque the way he described yeah. his vibe. <laughs> yeah, he had he had a really awesome style of stand up that was very avant garde, kind of a lot what we have talked about before you and I off the air, and I think a little on with er- the early years of SNL. We were just recently talking about the the silly comedy. I forget what the word is. Oh, it's just it. abstract. It's it's abstract, like nonsensical. Yeah, just kind of the bizarre. Yeah, you watch you watch the early years of SNL, and it's like that. It's just these kind of crazy zany, and I think that's why he did so well on SNL and was a host so much is because that was his style and it wasn't this i'm gonna say something that's so politically like oh we're laughing because it's true which is very very popular right now but it was just that silly stupid mel brooks does a good job at it a lot and it's um it's my favorite style of comedy because it's it's silly it's funny and you you don't have to get into things and you don't have to make a point and change someone's opinion it's just i'm here to make you laugh and and i like what you said too that of his quote that you know it's going to the extreme lengths to make someone laugh. And yeah. it's and, and there was uh, in that wild and crazy guys book, there's, there's a part point where they're interviewing him and he says like turning on Saturday night live that very first night that it aired, he, his thought was like, Oh my God, they did it. They figured out a way to put our comedy on television. Like, yes, like he I, felt yeah. really tied to that, that sense of humor. And, and so, so, uh, some, uh, like that, that just, you said that, that out there style where it's, it isn't so much topical as it's like kind of shocking, but not like, it's just shocking because it, le- it leads you into a sense of comfort and then hits you with the most, absurd turn in the corner that it could possibly come up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, I read um, actually something in my career that is a quote I heard from his book that really stuck with me just because I've had such an eclectic career in entertainment and have gone down so many avenues. And sometimes I feel like I've put so much time into learning something and then just kind of, I'm like, well, that was that show. But he said that he uses, he's used everything that he has ever learned at some point in his career. And so an example was um, he used to work at Disneyland. That was his first job. And he worked at the magic shop, which Disneyland was my first job. So I'm like, hey, Steve, we're the same. And he would go down to the Golden Horseshoe Theater in Disneyland. And the guys there that were doing the Western show would teach him. And he really just had this like passion for on his breaks, running down and learning what they had. And so they would teach him all these rope tricks. And so he learned with the lasso, you know, all these rope tips. And he goes off and becomes a comedian. You're thinking, okay, you spent all this time. And he used those rope tricks in Three Amigos. And he's, I can't remember if he said someone that was advice someone gave him was saying that you will use everything you've ever learned at some point in your career. And and then he goes on to be like, and I did, and, and it's great. And so the first time I heard him say that, I was like, oh my gosh, it just gave me such comfort in the feeling of all these random skills, some hard, some not, that I've acquired over the years. And some I feel like, God, why do I why did I spend time doing that? That I'm like, it'll come back. And I recently had that experience where I just booked a really small gig this weekend, but it's specifically doing a style of dance. That is a very obscure thing that I learned for this one other gig. And I'm like, Oh, and I literally today was in the grocery shop store and I was like, 
Steve Martin was right. And it's, yeah. I, I love that idea that it's just nothing's to waste and it, it'll all come back around. So, yeah. And I was trying to dig up this one joke. There's a joke that I've heard Steve Martin do on one of his albums. And I think it is the best joke to explain what I mean with what Steve Martin's sense of humor was in, in how dark and shocking it could get. And this doesn't happen very often. About three weeks ago, I met a girl. She was real nice, and she invited me to her apartment. So I went over there, and she had the best pussy I have ever... Oh, now, come on! I'm talking about her cat. Now, that makes me sick right there. Now, you can't say anything anymore that people don't take it dirty, and I'm sorry. That disgusts me. That cat was the best fuck I ever had. <laughs> it's like, and like, that's Steve Martin for you, and that's why that, that is seventy Steve Martin. It, you mentioned what is also my favorite of his movies, "Man with Two Brains," um, and I even just the delivery of the line, "Like I can't fuck a gorilla." Like it's like, yeah, it's that, <laughs> but it's so genuine. I think that's the thing too, and I, and I said it in our Spaceballs um, episode that you know the best way to do comedy is to play it straight. And Steve Martin is a really, really good example of that where he's doing the craziest, saniest thing or saying something crazy, but he has such conviction with with his actions and words of doing it. It's even though he's kind of goofy with it, it's still like, oh, I didn't even get that. Or like, oh, yeah. and it's but he's just so like, but you believe you believe him and it, it makes it funnier, which I, I love the man with two brains. I, one of my favorite parts is when he's telling the three or four year old the Little girl, quick, remember this. Call the hospital. Tell them it's a brain injury. this, that. And she repeats it all perfectly. Little girl? Yes, sir. I want you to do something very important, all right? Okay. I want you to run home, and I want you to call the ER of North Bank General Hospital, 932-1000. Tell them to set up OR6 immediately and contact anesthesiologist Isadora Turek, 472-2112, beep 12. Have them send an ambulance with a paramedic crew, light IV, D5 and W, KBO. You got it? That's good. Sounds like a structural hematoma to me. Oh, it does, does it? Well, it's not your job to diagnose. But I thought... You thought, you thought, just go! It's an unbelievable movie. It's so underrated. It, it's, it's so underrated. The jerk gets... I mean, the jerk is, is great. Don't get me wrong. I, I do love the jerk. But it's that gets kind of all the notoriety of Steve Martin's early work. And nobody has seen The Man with Two Brains. And it's so... I think it's better, in my opinion. I think it's a better movie. I think it's funnier. And it just does not get the props it deserves. I think of him having to do the sobriety test... So often where he's like, no, he has juggle to juggle. balls, tap dance and sing Agalina Magalina. <laughs> Damn, these sobriety tests are getting hard. Yeah. Agalina Magalina. Who was trying to walk? Just goes for it. He's like, okay. Even just like the stuff where it's like, uh, Huffafar, it's, it's spelled exactly how it's pronounced. H-F-U-H-R-U-H-U-R-R. That's a huge running joke in my family. And It is. But, but we do have to bring up the jerk because, that movie, mm-hmm. I don't think I realized how massive a success that movie is. A Cute. $4 million budget brought in $100 million in the wow. box office. Like, wow. that is one of the biggest successes I think I've ever read on a Wikipedia page between budget to box office. That's pretty, um, 
Yeah, that's a pretty incredible. Yeah, I think it was just kind of, again, a, one of the first films of its kind where, you know, Steve Martin already kind of has his um, notoriety and popularity through his stand-up, but to come through and make this film and put his style of humor into an entire movie, it really is. And obviously it's become now, you know, a cult classic. And it really is kind of one of those films of its time because it really encapsulates the 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 time it was filmed. But um, there's a kind of back to a stand-up uh, quote here from him talking about him thinking about almost the way he started his comedy and how he thought, I'm going to create this thing that's different. And he said, what if there were no punchlines? What if there were no indicators? What if I created tension and never released it? What if I headed for a climax, but all I delivered was an anticlimax? Would the audience do, what would they do with all that tension? Theoretically, it would have to come out sometime. But if I kept denying them the formality of a punchline, the audience would eventually pick up their own places to laugh, essentially out of desperation. And it's true. And I love, I love going into his mind of like how he came up with his style and being like, what if I tried this? And doing it and it worked and it's true and it it almost makes it more funny. It's like those long running gags. I think we talked about in the last episode when things just kind of go on and on and on in comedy, like the hot rod fall when the longer it goes and you're waiting for the big thing to finish for you to laugh and it does it. And then you just kind of start laughing because you do, you need it to come out and you're like, I can't not laugh. And it's essentially that same kind of a style in a way. And it's great. It's I love making audiences uncomfortable, and he does it so well in his comedy. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters. And, what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Oh, hello there. I didn't see you come in. I'm Shane O'Hare of the Geekscape Games Podcast, the number one video game podcast on the Geekscape.network. Join myself, Derek Krenevelt, and a guest every fortnight as we discuss video game news, video game reviews, and dissections. That's Geekscape Games every two weeks on Geekscape.net. Another thing that you need to give him credit for is of that 70s crew, and I'm including all of the SNL cast at this time, Steve Martin is without much competition, the best actor to come out of that 70s comedy scene. And what I mean by that is he hits these beautiful comedic beats. He hits these brilliantly dramatic things. He does these almost vaudevillian moments of like mm-hmm. Pratt Falls and tap dance and all that. But even in something like The Jerk, like 
I think that the scene where they're singing Tonight You Belong to Me is a genuinely romantic, beautiful scene. And like, he makes that work. He makes that believable. And obviously, you've got Bernadette Peters, who's just at her most likable. One of the craziest things that he did is the follow-up film that he did to The Jerk. I've never seen this movie. Have you ever seen Pennies from Heaven? Um, I was literally, when you said great dramatic film, I was going to ask you, have you seen Pennies from Heaven? I've Yes, I have. And it is a drama. It is with Bernadette Peters as well. It's um, Steve Martin, Bernadette Peters, and it's a Great Depression film. And it's really intense and sad. It's a very sad film. Christopher Walken's in it. A young Christopher Walken does this like awesome striptease tap dance on the bar. But they they use a real cool, they do lip syncing for most of it. And they use old recordings from the 30s. And it's 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 kind of what I did with my web series, like literally that that idea of going out and it was using these big Hollywood 1930s musical numbers to escape from this terrible, you know, the Great Depression and situation, but they do a really good job giving a great homage to the Hollywood in the 30s, which Steve Martin also has a passion for old Hollywood and these old movies. Um, you can tell, and he also does uh, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, which is another, that's a kind of, uh, film oh, noir homage. We're going to get there really in a second. Because yeah, we'll, we'll go. That is something but that's pennies, worth analyzing. Pennies from Heaven. I I highly recommend. It's not a comedy, so don't don't get confused. With I Steve want Martin's to I want to see it. I I wanted to bring it up because in the the Wild and Crazy Guys book, they bring this up as like he talks about how he saw the original BBC miniseries, thought it was the most beautiful thing in the world, mm-hmm. heard that they were doing this remake, and demand it that he have an opportunity to do the role. And his, he said his manager said, this isn't the right time. Like you need to make another jerk. And he said, like, I don't, I didn't become famous. Well, he said, I didn't become famous to wait 10 years to do the roles that I want to do. And it's like, I kind of, I think that that says a lot about his headspace because the truth is that Steve Martin, Steve Martin is like, this very soft-spoken, very mm-hmm. tied to the arts, very like mm-hmm. quiet man. And I think by this point, you have to remember that as the jerk is popping off, he's like, what, 10 years into doing the loud, obnoxious shtick? And it's like, all right, you guys took too long to get get on my level. I'm I'm done doing this. I yeah, I want to be more serious. And I think that that's where you do get you lead into something like this. Like you said, dead men don't wear plaid, which is love this movie. I like this movie. I don't, I don't find, I need to rewatch it again. I don't find hilarious. No, but it's it's not the funniest. It's It's impressive. And I think because I love film noir so much, I was just like, this is brilliant how he tied in all these clips. And then there are really funny movies, like uh, funny segments of how the, the bits he does. And it's like, Oh, you only created this comedic bit so that you could tie in the scene from this Betty Davis movie or whatever. And yeah, you know, like the, the whole <laughs> cleaning woman, cleaning woman. And that like, is his trigger. <laughs> um, Carl Reiner, uh, in an interview even said like, like he's talking about, he's like, look, we took a bunch of random clips from a bunch of movies and assembled it into a plot. And I still think our plot is easier to follow than the big sleep, which is like such a... For those of you who don't know what the um, don't wear men don't wear plaid, it's um, a film Steve Martin did, but they literally did that. They took slices of all these different film noir 
Yeah, 19 um, film, films. Really, 19 <laughs> film. God, scenes from, I mean, you know, all the films from like the 30s, maybe early 40s, black and white, the whole movie's in black and white. And they wrote together a story that they could take a scene from this movie and it would be, say, um, I don't know, Betty Davis talking and they would kind of create the set to look like the set she's on and then kind of film it back and forth. So Steve Martin would be, it looks like he's in the scene with them. And so it all kind of connects. It's a really clever idea and it's really incredible how they did it and, and tied it together. So it's, I, I think it's definitely worth a watch, especially if you're a film noir. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's worth also noting that, um, that leading up to the making of the movie, Steve Martin purposely decided to not watch any film noir because he wanted to make sure that he wasn't just going to show up and do like a Humphrey Bogart impression or, okay. you know, do any of those. He was like, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't because it happens to all. Of, I mean, if I listen to yeah, mimicking. A, yeah, if I listen to a comedian too much, I feel like I start to pick up their like speech patterns for a couple of oh, days. Absolutely. Like, lingo. I've I've worked with so many people around the world and I. I would come home with different lingo from like all my friends I was hanging out that are from the UK and the slang. And everyone's like, what the hell? And I'm like, sorry, just yeah. it's, it's natural. But yeah, uh, I mean, we won't go through the full list. Cause like I said, it's 19 movies, but I mean, it's not like they pulled some obscure deep cuts, double indemnities in there. The lost mm-hmm. weekend is in there. The big sleep white heat. Like these are some heavy hitter infamous Huge. movies. <laughs> and somehow they got, the other thing that's crazy is that they made a movie using footage. You'd think that they were all from the same studio, but they made a movie using footage from Universal, Warner Brothers, MGM, RKO, Paramount, and Columbia all blend it together. Like the the ability to get that many studios to allow the archival footage to be passed around to a competitor is really unheard of even in 2022 standards. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, so yeah, it really is. Yeah, that's uh, it is. It's and that just shows you. I mean, the extra love and work that goes into a project like that, where that's you know that's gonna be a little more of a fight. Yeah, and then the next year, he follows it up with the movie that we were just raving about, uh, "Man with Two Brains." Like uh, as you said, it's, if you haven't seen this movie, it literally uh, is my favorite Steve Martin movie. Like it is just the epitome of his humor, his performance, like all of it. Um, and there's a great quote uh so so you briefly talked about this on the double indemnity episode right but Mm -hmm. you've got kathleen turner uh and she is fresh off of body heat the like neo-noir remake of double indemnity and she wants to be in man with two brains and reportedly carl reiner was a little unsure on if she could do this because she was a very new actor. And he said, he said something along the lines of, I mean, we're going to, we're going to really push you. And she goes, you show me where to go and I'll be there. And like, she just like, she wanted this role. And I think part of it was like doing something like double indemnity or uh, doing something like body heat. That's this like super dark erotic thriller to immediately followed up with a wacky black comedy parody. Like you're really trying to establish right out the gate. Like, yeah, I can be your eighties version of the femme fatale, but I've got other skills too. Like Mm -hmm. I can show up and I can make people fucking laugh. And she does. 
She oh, is she's so great in it. horrible in that movie. <laughs> she's like, great. It's and, it's um yeah, no, it's it's you just gotta watch it. <laughs> yeah, is and then kind of the last one of that era of him and uh I, I always thought that this was also a Carl Reiner uh one but oh, it, it wasn't was the lonely guy have you ever seen the lonely guy i have seen the lonely guy i actually have a whole like little set of his movies um but i can't i've only seen it once that was a one time i need to watch it again but i do remember liking it i mean i like anything steve martin does so it's it's very it's another one where i could just describe it as sweet uh I, yeah it, it was written neil simon helped write it like that's that's pretty big for a Steve Martin movie. Again, saying like, this is a guy who loves the arts. And then you've got, you know, Neil Steinman who wrote like Plaza Suite and like all of these, the Biloxi Blues, like wrote all of these kind of well-established Broadway and theatrical shows. And and he's stepping up to write a, a romantic comedy specifically for, for Steve Martin. That's pretty fucking cool and it it, it mm-hmm. is it's this it's a weird dark movie about a lonely greeting card writer discovers his girlfriend cheating on him and begins his new life as a as a lonely guy and befriends fellow lonely men and it's it's almost like it's like a a romantic comedy version of almost like fight club where it's like this community <laughs> yeah. this community of lonely okay. guys all trying to find love like it, it's Aww. it's yeah i need to watch it again it's good. There there was um one of my all-time favorite movies that no one seems to have ever heard of is this film called The Baxter. Have you ever seen mm-hmm. The Baxter? So it's starring Michael Showalter. He wrote and directed it as well, I believe. But the concept of The Baxter is the Baxter to him is defined as the guy who gets left at the altar in every romantic comedy. So it's like the dude who's not really a jerk, but like the old love from high school shows up like a couple days before the wedding right. day. And he plays like a man who's been a Baxter his entire life. And he's about to get married to Elizabeth Banks. And it's like him going out of his way to just make sure that there is no chance that she meets anybody that can stop the wedding from happening. <laughs> and then, of course, she bumps into her ex-boyfriend like the the day before the wedding and it's like him going through this full blown meltdown of like, I, she's going to leave. She's definitely going to have to leave me. Like he's, he's here. And thus that's the only way that this is going to play out because that's what happens to the character of me in any romantic comedy. It's a, it's a very smart, witty film and it's got a great cast. Michael Showalter, uh, Michelle Williams, Elizabeth Banks, yeah. Justin Thoreau, uh, Paul Rudd, uh, Ken Marino and Jack McBrayer are all in it. And then a bunch of other uh, Peter Dinklage has a small cameo in it. It's it's a pretty, pretty stacked little cast, but it's it's very much reminds me of The Lonely Guy. I wouldn't be surprised if The Lonely Guy was like the inspiration on the Baxter. I'll have to watch that. Yeah. But then we get you. You pass that threshold and then that's when you start to fall into stuff like Three Amigos and Little Shop of Horrors, which you start to see mm-hmm. him kind of phasing out a little bit of like the over the top wacky comedy, especially the next year when he does Roxanne and planes, trains and automobiles. And and you really start to see him blending more and more drama into his comedies and, and more, more and more heart. I, I 
openly cry multiple times when I watch Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. As funny as that movie it. is. No, yeah. it's <laughs> That is such a – it's funny. I As I was kind of going through the list of movies after I had said when what I was first introduced to Steve Martin with – it easily could be planes, trains, and automobiles because this is a we watch it every year for the holidays in my house. They're all kind of I don't remember not knowing these films, I guess. So yeah, but um, yeah, planes, trains, and automobiles, and I think he's so good at it. But it's it's both him and John Candy and their dynamic that they're there are some of the funniest scenes in this movie. But it really is I I cry every time I watch it. Oh my god, the and it's John that Candy's moment when he realizes like that me. John. Oh. oh my god, that. Yeah, the I like me. That's all like that. Yeah. That scene, oh yeah, is just such a like oh heart strings and just him showing up at the very end on the front step with John Candy, and you're just like oh like it. I'm getting joked. I'm talking. About. I know it, it, is. it is a beautiful. It might be. It might be the best John Hughes movie, which I know is hard to like really pin down. Ooh, I don't down know if I could pick me. But I think that that's the one that hits me. I mean, I love Pretty in Pink. I love a lot of it, but man, like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles hits every emotion that it aims to hit. I love so when perfectly. he's my favorite. We always, when he goes to get a rental car <laughs> and uh, I forget the woman, she's in Ferris Bueller, but she gets off the phone. She's gobble, gobble and hangs up. We, we always do that in my family too. <laughs> um, but his, his rant, when he just goes off, I want my fucking car and the fucking keys. And just that, <laughs> that little, I wouldn't call it a model. I rant is one of my all time favorites. How may I help you? You can start by wiping that fucking dumbass smile off your rosy fucking cheeks then you can give me a fucking automobile a fucking Datsun a fucking Toyota a fucking Mustang a fucking Buick four fucking wheels and a seat I really don't care for the way you're speaking to me yeah no that is I mean that it it literally moved the movie from a PG to an R rating with Which one I scene <laughs> yeah I mean and then you know continuing down the line you start to hit my, you know, parenthood, L.A. story, Father of the Bride. And this yeah. really develops the new 90s, everyone's favorite dysfunctional dad era of of Steve Martin's career. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which I do want to give him. Um, I know we're kind of <laughs> staying away from like the late 80s. Well, I wasn't born yet, but um, a honorable mention to Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Which I ha- I've realized I've never seen. It's really good. And then they but- made it a Broadway show. It was a Broadway musical, which was really good. The music is is great, but I, I yeah, saw the not very I saw the not very good remake of it from a couple of years ago with Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson called The Hustle. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked I like Rebel Wilson though, so she's funny to me. But yeah, it it was like the female version of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. It's I didn't know it was Dirty Rotten Scoundrels going in. I just was like, oh, there's like this like con artist one, and it was about a little less than halfway through. I kind of was like. Wait, wait a minute. Like, I know this plot. And I was like, oh, I see what they did here. Okay. I lied. I said that was going to be my last because then we're going to get into the 1990s. So the year before I'm born, I'm allowed to go up to. I okay. love My Blue Heaven with Rick Moranis. See, that's another one that I haven't seen. I, I missed. Oh, a- it's so great. He plays this like mafia in the witness protections program. And Rick Moranis is um, the cop that has to kind of watch him and protect him. And he's this real, eh, and he just gives everyone like big tips and it brings the big mafia energy to the suburbs and it's hilarious. You know, something that I'm realizing as I'm looking at a couple of these box covers though, there is way more movies (laughs) where 
he has his hair dyed not gray than I actually remember. Because <laughs> it's not gray in Pennies for, from Heaven. It's dyed black in uh, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid so it can match when up did with he, the Bex. When did he go gray, though? He they, went he gray might... bef- He was gray he was in the 70s. Early... Yeah, okay. Like, he, he had to keep dyeing his hair because he, his hair is black in my blue heaven as well like for someone who was known for having very prematurely gray hair he -hmm. certainly had to dye it a lot in the 80s for a lot of movie roles (laughs) he did because even his little bit in little shop of horrors he's got that like greased like but that's like it has to it has to look like that for that role so for sure if he rolled in with the white hair it wouldn't have worked but no he needed that like yeah black greaser which he's so good in that too I mean, it's such a small part, but it is such a memorable moment. Like, that's what I when I saw that movie for the first time as a very little child, my takeaway was giant plant and you'll be a dentist. Like, I would sing that song constantly (laughs) and he's still doing it. I mean, like, even to, to bring it back to what started this whole thing, like even when you watch something like Only Murders in the Building, he juggles that comedy with that sincerity so beautifully throughout that so entire well. show. Yeah, um, I think he's aged so gracefully in his career with his comedy and his projects. And even, you know, taking the time and he tours off with his bluegrass band and gotten more involved with like his banjo. And it just, I love where he's gone with his career and it's not always the easiest to age gracefully in Hollywood as no. an entertainer into also just finding some things work better when you're younger is style this, that. And, and he's even when he started making father, the bride, that was like such a eloquent transition to those roles of your dad and he, now. And it, he did it so well. And he didn't abandon his comedy background either, which no. I think is like, I love Bill Murray, but I, I feel like Bill Murray spent a large chunk of his career trying to run away from Murray, comedy. Matt. It's Murray. Sorry. I know, I know. Murray. Um, <laughs> but he spent so much of his career trying to actively run away from comedic roles where Steve Martin found that healthy balance of like being able to do a dramatic role and still get a little bit of that comedy mm-hmm. in there to, to bring some levity to it. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we here... At before my time, we love you, Steve. I'm sure you're listening to this episode. I hope you're (laughs) listening, Steve. And look, you started in theme parks. You you also performed at Knott's Berry Farm. I'm going to Knott's Berry Farm next week. A lot of my friends do. I love hearing that he started. You know, it's it's the thing in Southern California us entertainers do. Is it's the work that's here is theme parks. So that makes me happy that he started there as well. But if you want to come, you know, just say hey to a fellow theme park starter. I would love to have a cup of coffee with you or or some bourbon, whatevs. I'd just be happy to be in your presence and honored, Steve. All right, Gelsey, I think we did a very good job of making sure that we showed restraint and focus primarily on the uh, films and TV performances of Before Your and I's Birth uh, with Steve Martin. So for this outro, I say let's cut loose a little bit. And what is, if you could only pick one or two 
post your birth movies of Steve Martin's, oh. what would what would you want to watch? Um, you threw me with that. I'm not going to lie because I was ready to tell you my two that I would pick. This is going to be kind of crazy because it's not really a Steve Martin movie, but he's in it and I love Baby Mama. So uh, that Baby easily good. <laughs> I love Baby Mama so much. So that um, but I, I feel like that's not fair to Steve. Um, ooh, maybe. Wait, oh, writer. Sorry. Hang on. Let me. I got to get a list of this. You're like looking at everything. I, I'm i looking at his wiki right now. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this isn't fair. I always forget he was in the Prince of Egypt. I do love that movie. I, I really liked him in Looney Tunes back in action. I thought it was so funny. That I think that that is a very underrated movie. I think and also Looney it Tunes has my book. husband, Brendan Fraser, Fraser in it. So 100%. I will pick that one because I, I just love him. And See, for, for me, um, for me, the answer can only be one film and it's Bowfinger. I think that Bowfinger is like one of the funniest films of the 90s. I've never seen it. You've never seen Gelsey. Robert Downey Jr. is in it. Heather Graham. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, Wait, it's, it's got a decent little cast. So highly, highly recommend Bowfinger. Well, yeah, his, his 90s and 2000s, they aren't. He wasn't really making movies that I was like in love with at that yeah. time. He got really into family stuff, which is fine. Yeah, I, I respect that. I, I do respect that. Adam Sandler did the same thing, and I love those movies. You know, it's not the Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison Adam that we know, but it's, it's again, it's like what I said about him eloquently getting older and aging into his career. It's, I think there's something quite charming when a comedian goes into the family years, and I like that. So yeah. if you guys want to tell us, though, what your favorite post- 9091 film is from Steve Martin and how you feel about his family years, you can do so on Instagram. Find us at before my time underscore podcast or on Facebook. Just type in before my time. Let us know there. And maybe if you feel like uh, gracefully giving us a five-star review, that'd be so cool. Uh, yeah. I appreciate you guys. And hey, Steve, I'm, we're still uh, talking about you. Still want that coffee or bourbon. Yeah, buddy. Bye. Network.